will any movie ever be as part of the consciousness as kindergarten cop was <laughs> like just saying I'm not a tumor. Like it was, there was that, that was culture that year was saying I'm not, it's not a tumor. Isn't there, there do you find that there's something similar to the way that Arnold Schwarzenegger's voice works and the way that Donald Trump's voice works in this, in the sense that like, as soon as you hear something, you want to repeat it and it becomes a catchphrase like that. Like watching total recall every, almost every line, no, no matter how like, non catchphrase was i would want to i would want to say like come on Lori, let's go to mars which is not a catchphrase <laughs> i mean you're right it is like irresistible like i was trying catherine was watching it with me and she fell asleep and then i was explaining the plot to her and i just was doing all the one-liners that he did after he murdered people like consider it a divorce <laughs> We're like pushing our baby through Brooklyn. It's like a beautiful spring day. We're like dressed stylishly and we're walking by all these brownstones and I'm just yelling like, why don't you hang around? <laughs> I'll see you at the party, Richter. Some men tried to kill me. It was hairy. <laughs> She's like, the situation was or <laughs> no from work. Because maybe that should actually be the cold open of the show, which is just sort of like a warning that the show will be filled with a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger impressions, both good and bad, mostly bad. I mean, that was an example of a good one, but I see what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. Welcome to the inaugural episode of 30 Years Later, where uh, me, Ricky Camilleri, and my co-host, Chris Chafin. Hi, Chris. Uh, hello. Hi, Ricky. Thank you so much. I'm really glad my voice broke on literally the first word I said on the show. Uh, it's a great it's a, start. It's, it's, a, a, it's a, great a great start. start. Yeah. I think it's a good omen for who is going to be the alpha and who is going to be the beta in this podcast. <laughs> I'm not from my point of view. <laughs> uh, in this podcast, we discuss a movie that came out. 30 years ago uh, this week. And hopefully we do this podcast long enough to get all the way to the year 2000, but that would mean that we all have to live long enough to 2030, and that is seeming less and less likely. Uh, today's movie, our first movie for our inaugural episode, is uh, Total Recall, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, directed by uh, the GOAT, Paul Verhoeven, Released on June 1st, 1990. Let's uh, listen to some of that trailer. Please fasten your seatbelt. I want Quaid delivered alive for reimplantation. That's for making me come to Mars. You wouldn't hurt me. After all, we're married. Consider that a divorce. you enjoyed the ride do you remember how much you knew about arnold schwarzenegger in 1990 yeah so uh, in 1990 i'm like seven eight years old i guess i'm in like second or third grade something like that and he just was you know one of the people you knew existed like the list wasn't super huge at that point and especially for me ones that weren't cartoon characters like sure i knew all the thundercats but i didn't know like that many actors and he was just part of life i think i mean Kindergarten Cop uh, is coming out. Has already come out at this point, or has I think it come Kindergarten out Cop comes out later in the year. 
I mean, that was like a big deal. I remember that completely infiltrating my childhood existence. You know, like it's not a tumor. Like that was the entirety of eight-year-old culture was just saying it's not a tumor back and forth to each other. Um, and I don't know if anything is that popular and or will be ever again. When is the last time you you saw you saw this movie? Um, so a very long time ago. And in fact, this is one of those movies that I actually had only seen like parts of as a kid. I had never watched the entire movie. I didn't sit down and watch Total Recall from beginning to end until like 2010 or something. Like other than that, I would see like 10 minutes of it on TBS every once in a while. You know, like I would just watch like the part where obviously they had edited out the three boob woman or like someone's head exploded, but they cut away before it got really cool. Um, but yeah, like 10 years probably since I've actually watched it. I remember seeing it when I was a little kid, not getting anything other than the three boob thing. I mean, I do want to make sure that you get the three boobs. Like they show them about six times <laughs> in five minutes. But I remember watching it just after college with with somebody and thinking, oh, I can't believe I didn't get this movie before. This is such a smart, like weird, perverted take on a sci-fi action movie. So that was like your 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 revelation moment with watching Total Recall <laughs> was being, I'm going to assume, devastatingly on drugs and watching Total Recall with someone. <laughs> uh, you would. Yeah, you would not be wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> Can we say, though, that this movie, I don't know if you're in full agreement with me, but it's probably like if you looked up the definition for fucking sick, dude. Like Total Recall, <laughs> sorry, Arnold Schwarzenegger might be <laughs> the definition. Well, dude, I mean, like, Arnold's head is about to explode within the first 30 seconds of the movie. Mm -hmm. And you're like, fucking sick, brah. <laughs> the first line of dialogue in the movie is, <laughs> And then cut to Sharon Stone. Who's not, uh, not famous at the time, right? She's not famous. She's not, super, she's not super famous yet. Basic Instinct, also Paul Verhoeven, made, made her famous. Well, that, that had our... That must not have already come out, though. Didn't that come out after this? Yeah, it, came, it was the movie that Paul Verhoeven made right after this. And apparently, oh, okay. and he, in interviews, I think joking, said that in that opening scene with Sharon Stone, where he wakes, uh, Schwarzenegger wakes up from the dream, uh, and she like sort of lays down and like opens her nighty a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, Paul Verhoeven wanted more skin, but Sharon Stone said no. And Verhoeven said, but I got her back with basic instinct. <laughs> God, that's just the kind of healthy attitude about women you find all over the film industry. You know, like just cool stuff between buds. <laughs> things that did not age well. <laughs> oh my God. One of the things about, I mean, just to talk about Sharon Stone in this opening scene, like um, she is obviously like really going for it. And she's kissing Arnold in a way that's both like genuine and erotic and he it's like but it's like she's kissing like a log like he is just there and she's like <laughs> really doing some acting like it's the equivalent of watching it's like watching a great actor in a scene with like Arnold Schwarzenegger do you know what I mean but it's like sexy acting wouldn't you don't, don't you feel that way about every actor in the movie like every actor in the movie is really going for it maybe yeah, with no the, it's true like, like Arnold is, I think, as much as he possibly can be, but everybody is like cranked up to 11 all the way through. And I mean, that's got to be down to Paul Verhoeven, right? Being yeah. able to create an atmosphere where these people feel like it's like safe to do that. And also like that that's like what good work is to just like fucking like 
do the craziest thing you can possibly think of. Like everybody's like grabbing each other by the lapels and screaming into each other's faces in like every scene. We see Arnold in a dream sequence on Mars. Uh, we learn that basically if you are not given air on Mars, your entire body will decompress and explode, right, it seems. Right. I'm not sure. Do you know if the science behind that is true? <laughs> well, I know that like generally that's what people think happens to you in space. So I guess it's like Mars doesn't have an atmosphere. So you kind of the same thing would happen. Maybe on Mars you would like suffocate because there's like the atmosphere is actually cyanide or something, but eh, it's close enough, you know? So he wakes up from this dream where he's on Mars. He's married to Sharon Stone. They're in the future. Everything, the architecture, the, the, the design of their home and the architecture outside in the world is very concrete. <laughs> like, <laughs> like most of the budget of the movie was spent on concrete, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very um, beige architecture movie, yeah. But uh, he's, a, he's a regular guy obsessed with going to Mars. And um, he just wants your to average go... everyday guy obsessed with moving to Mars, you know, like a real blue collar every Joe. He wants to move to Mars and Sharon Stone is eerily not into it, right? She's not just not into it because they have a life there. There's They set up a few too many looks, right? Where she, it's like, is she worried about him or is she trying to hide something from him? Yes. And every time he brings up moving to Mars, which is, you might think, an amazing once-in-a-lifetime adventure if you could afford it, she goes like, ha ha ha, what's in the newspaper, darling? <laughs> you know. Also, also the, the, the screens in uh, their home in the beginning as well, where they have basically flat screen TVs inside their wall, oh, yeah. and their wall basically yeah. flicks from the wallpaper to the screen seamlessly. And it is such a great sequence because it's basically like she wants it to be showing like the beautiful wilderness and he keeps turning on MSNBC. <laughs> so that like, I mean, it's not MSNBC, <laughs> but that's basically what it is. People arguing with each other about Mars politics. And she's like, mm, let's watch a mountain stream. And he's like, okay. And then he turns it back one second later. <laughs> I was like, that's a, yeah, that seems like a real relationship to me. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you want to stay informed? Get your head out of the sand. Don't you know about this Cheeto in the Oval Office? <laughs> He's ruining our constitution, the country. A 45, um, I won't even say his name. <laughs> then Arnie, otherwise known as Douglas Quaid in this in Douglas this sequence, yeah. heads out heads out to work on his way to work. He sees an advertisement for this thing called Recall where they can implant vacation memories in your brain. This is like from the original Philip K. Dick um short story uh and when he's at work where he's a construction worker operating a jackhammer <laughs> in the most okay. <laughs> no please please finish your sentence uh in the most um gratuitous way possible <laughs> yes i definitely i was watching this and i was like oh like tom of finland directed the second unit like you know the gay porn illustrator it's like hugely muscular guys with huge cocks like uh so ricky what i will say is like you know everybody's a little bit gay and i, I usually tend to think of myself as like not not very gay like on not on not very far along the kinsey scale right but i i mean it's erotic what else can you say about watching arnold schwarzenegger use a jackhammer but it's like fucking erotic to watch him like his sleeves are ripped off and his like everything on him is bouncing and it's just like a long isn't it like a doll like a, it's like a crane shot or something from above 
So you can really just soak it in, right? Yeah, I mean, I was I was aroused. What can you say? But I was fucking aroused by watching this. <laughs> like, it's amazing. He's talking to his coworker who uh, uh, about possibly going to recall, and the coworker is basically like, "Oh, don't go. They'll, you know, you'll have an aneurysm. They'll fuck up your head. It's really bad." But then once again, as the scene ends, he looks at Arnold Schwarzenegger just a little too long, like he's hiding something. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Arnold goes to recall. And while he's at recall, honestly, one of my favorite scenes of the movie happens, which is the moment where the movie basically tells <laughs> the entire plot of the film. You are a top operative back under deep cover on your most important mission. People are trying to kill you left and right. You meet this beautiful, exotic woman. Go on. I don't want to spoil it for you, Doug. But you rest assured, by the time the trip is over, you get the girl, kill the bad guys, and save the entire planet. Now you tell me, isn't that worth a measly 300 credits? Great, right? Because it's fucking great. Then the movie proceeds to do that. It does it exactly. And it's also great because, like, not only is it a fun, like, movie-making foreshadowing thing, but because the movie is so much about, like, what is real and what isn't real, it kind of plants the seed very effectively that, like, is everything that's happening a dream? Like, especially because right after this, you see Arnold is going to sleep and they're, they're programming the girl that he wants, you know, and they're saying to him, like, do you want her to be demure or sleazy? <laughs> and to which sleazy, he, I, sleazy. <laughs> and I was like, that's cool. I'm glad I would say the same thing. And then he's like, Oh, demure. And they're like, okay. And it's demure, but sleazy. And then did you um, laugh when he said, what did you laugh when he said hetero? When they're like, when they're like, oh, what sexual, what sexual? I think he goes hetero. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's just an accurate answer to a medical question, Ricky. I don't know what's so giggle worthy about that. Some of us are adults. The, the accent, the way he says things, it still works. <laughs> he's, it's still, he's still got it. You can imagine that in the script as just a regular line, but the way he says it, it enters some other universe of like. It's not like a thing one person said to another thing. It's like a pronouncement from Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> to, like, to you, the audience member, you know? Um, oh, but so he sees on the screen the face of a woman who, you know, having seen the movie, you realize like, oh, that, that is the woman that he's going to meet later on. And they're sort of showing him like closing his eyes and stuff. But watching it again, having not watched it for a long time, I was like, oh, wait, does it all turn out to be a dream in the end? Because how could her face be on the screen if he hasn't already met her or if, or if it's not a fantasy of his, and I don't think the movie really answers that question. But bringing that up uh, takes us to a segment called listening to Roger Ebert own Gene since Siskel. <laughs> oh yeah. That fucking rules. I really want to hear this. I think, would you agree that the setup of the picture is more interesting than the payoff? Cause no, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> the payoff, it doesn't really, you don't even know at the end and we shouldn't give it. You don't know what the root, what the reality is at the end, and I don't think it really matters. You, in other words, you don't know at the end if it's real or not? Uh, the way he said... But then in that case, the implication is there, even though I won't give it away. Oh, what I'm saying the implication is it doesn't, make, it doesn't make any difference which way they flipped it. It really wouldn't make any difference, and that's, I think, the weakness of the last half of the picture. I don't think many people would complain about that. Yeah, I love those fucking old bastards. Like, that's so great to hear. I just think Gene Siskel completely misses the mark. <laughs> well, because he's saying it doesn't matter if it was all a fantasy or not. Like, this is exactly what we were just talking about, right? He's saying, like, it could be all a fantasy, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I think that I agree with that. Like, it doesn't matter if they made a sequel to the movie where they were, he, like, woke up in recall and, like, none of it had happened. I don't think it would, like... 
it would still be a good movie. You know, it's fine. Do you disagree? I think that if it had picked whether it was a rea- whether it was reality or it was a dream, it would have been. I don't think the movie would stand the test of time as much as it does. But I think I think textually the movie does tell you it's not a dream. I mean, except for this one thing I was talking about, this woman's face being on the computer screen. Other than that, it's like textually it's telling you that it's not a dream. Except there is something weird about the way they cut between the way he goes to sleep in Recall and the way that he wakes up in Recall freaking out, where it's almost like it goes black like a second too long. Like it could be a dream, you know? But then once once you get past that cut, I would say nothing in the movie wants you to believe that it's made up. Like it's it's completely playing it completely straight. The, he does still follow the exact same track as the sales pitch that was given to him in the meeting, including, as you said, the woman. So it could right. be it could be a dream. I remember the one thing that I remember about when I was a little kid, I remember asking my dad about this movie and my dad being like, yeah, that movie's not that good. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> i'm excited to hear more about your dad's opinions of these movies by the way because i think he's a straight shooter and i don't think he's wrong (laughs) like so uh getting back to it like he wakes up or he he decides to get the the recall implant yeah recall is basically like it's like a uh it's like you're paying to get the memories of having taken a vacation implanted in you so he wakes up in the midst of getting the recall implant convinced that he's some kind of agent and uh, he's screaming at them and kicking them around and he's saying, they, you blew my cover and grunting a lot. Uh, this is not even something that we've talked about yet, which is that he is grunting so much in this fucking movie. They come in and they inject something into his leg a bunch of times to sedate him. And then all of a sudden, the stress of him freaking out turns these people that were just kind of sleazy into total monsters the female doctor says to the head salesman, he thinks he's a secret agent. And he goes, use your head, you dumb bitch. (laughs) Jesus, dude. Ricky, this is just how people talk to each other at work in 1990. It's totally normal workplace behavior. And then the other doctor comes over to her, uh, not the other doctor comes over to her and he's like, let's be honest. He's talking about the agency. He works for the fucking agency. And she just hauls off and slaps him across the face. (laughs) And he wasn't insulting her specifically. He was just saying what was happening. Well, it's like immediately this movie has become like extremely heightened. In like one second, the universe of this movie has ratcheted up like well past 11, right? Like, because up until this point, it's, it's, it's surprisingly normal, you know, for a movie set in the future where someone's getting brain surgery, it's kind of like pretty grounded. And then it's like cut and it's like, you dumb bitch, smack. And then it it stays at that level the rest of the movie. Yeah. Because it could be a dream. Well, it's true, right? Yeah, it's because it's completely heightened reality, right? Verhoeven has said that uh, whether or not you think the entire movie's a dream, the first 20 minutes are at the very least reality. Okay, yeah. So so I, that sounds like he does mean that it's a dream. <laughs> because... Yeah. So suddenly Schwarzenegger wakes up in a Johnny cab, which we find uh, are basically automated cabs, but with little robot men that uh, whistle. And it's very kind of a 1950s kind of thing, the way he looks and the way he behaves. Like That's another 90s thing about this movie is like the proximity of the 50s. You know, it still looms large in the popular imagination. So it's like... I think if this was made today, you wouldn't 
wouldn't have this <laughs> like a white guy with like a perfect haircut and a little you know fancy cap you know being like hey mister where can i take you today <laughs> actually all the technology stuff in this movie is pretty fun like um there's a sequence in the beginning in the before he goes to recall where he's making breakfast and he's making a smoothie and he's just using an immersion blender and i'm like <laughs> is this was this futury at the time or is this just like a normal thing i can't and either way it's fine it just fits in the world you know it's so uh, Johnny Cab drops him off at like his uh, near his home, which is like this Mexico City brutalist architecture, which is what it actually is. Um, is that really? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like it was all shot in Mexico City. His co-worker who told him not to go to recall and three other guys. And uh, he very quickly disposes of them. He doesn't know why they're accosting him and he doesn't know how he's so uh, quick with his hands which is not like a scene that we've gotten like really used to now, but I don't know if anybody really did it that much prior to total recall. Right. Like that's a born thing. That's there's so many other movies where suddenly, yeah, the, the action hero is like, Oh my God, I'm suddenly so good at this. This is also where the movie where he, he said, doesn't he say a one liner after he kills his friend from work or does he not? I don't, I don't think he does. I think he just looks confused. Like he hasn't, he hasn't become a uh, cool guy yet. Yeah, right. But so this was the where I thought the movie sort of like begins the real transition into what we're talking about, about being like this kind of whippy action movie. Because while you're right, he does look confused and he looks a little bit like he doesn't know why this has happened. He definitely also like breaks his best friend's neck and doesn't seem like <laughs> upset at all. Like he just kind of is like, okay, well that's the end of that. And like, it goes home. Do you know what I mean? And like, then for he... all he knows, this is his number one friend in the world. <laughs> and he has just broken his neck brutally by stepping on it. And he's just like, Oh man. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of, I mean, I might be more upset than that, but you know, whatever he's the action star. So, um, so he, Arnold goes home and uh, Sharon is there. Um, playing tennis with a hologram. He comes in, he t- he alerts her what's going on. She seems normal about it. Then all of a sudden she video calls Michael Ironside, who, um, mm. did you notice that everybody in this, when they get these video calls, like turns to the camera as if they weren't already in front of the camera? <laughs> like a Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget. Like they're like turning around dramatically when their phone rings. I yeah, I saw it always as like a sitcom intro where like in sitcom intro like intro credit scenes like actors turn quickly like turn to the turn their heads to the camera and smile. I just love imagining the way that it could possibly be set up that you could answer the video call before you have turned to the screen. <laughs> and it's funny cuz we're on Zoom all the time now. I have it has never happened. We are on Zoom right now. <laughs> Neither one of us did that and I don't know why. It has a uh, like I wonder if it was like a glitch in the technology at that time where like it only read the side of your neck to start <laughs> and then you could turn to the camera. So then um, the gunshots start going off. Arnold Schwarzenegger is diving away from bullets and it turns out that Sharon Stone is shooting at him. Um, they fight a little bit and wrestle around and then she tells him that uh, he she has only known him for a few weeks and that uh, the agency sent her and that he, uh, she doesn't know who he actually is, but his memory has been wiped. And it's like a fake implant memory of who she is. And then that's when she does that, like, you know, but it meant to, like, I always had a good time sleeping with you. Maybe we do it one more time for old time's sake. She wraps the thing around. 
and he notices that she's looking at the henchmen coming in the video monitor. And he says to her a line that became more famous because of Jurassic Park, clever girl. What happens here? There's like a gunfight or something. I'm actually kind of blanking on this part of the movie. Well, first, before there's the gunfight, he fucking decks Sharon Stone. Yes, yes, yes. He fucking decks the shit out of her. And he says, what does he say here? Nice knowing you. Nice knowing you. Nice knowing you. Yeah. And again, 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 until this point, this was his wife that he was really in love with. They've had one kind of weird conversation, okay, where he's starting to question what's going on. But as far as he knows, because during this argument, he keeps saying, like, what about our honeymoon? What about? And she's like, it's all fake memories. One minute later, he punches her as hard as he can in the face and says, nice knowing you. It's like, you know, he's very resilient. What can you say about him? But he's very, like, emotionally pliable, you know? And then uh, Michael Ironside and his henchmen show up, who Sharon Stone works with and is clearly, her character is clearly having an affair with, or... Right. Or it's just her boyfriend or whatever. It's just her boyfriend. And uh, one of the guys tries to check on Sharon Stone because she's clearly laid out on the floor after being punched by like a 250 pound, 300 pound muscle guy. I don't fucking know how much that shit weighs. Uh, And Michael Ironside kicks the guy off of her and goes, you get away from her. Well, this this is actually one of the interesting things actually from this movie, I think, was uh, this scene with Michael Ironside and her where you learn that like she's his girlfriend or whatever. I feel like in so many movies, he would have killed her in this scene for like failing or something. But this sets off a bunch of like the villains are not quite as ruthless as you would think. They're always like they want everybody alive. They're not, you know, you can mess up and get a second chance like it's. It's pretty interesting, and I also actually kind of liked it, you know? The only people that the movie seems to want to kill consistently is innocent bystanders. <laughs> oh Dude, there's so many innocent bystanders who die. I mean, again, not to jump around so much, but we're not too far from a scene where Arnold Schwarzenegger, again, who until this day was a regular person, enthusiastically <laughs> uses a human shield. He keeps spinning this guy around. This guy must get shot 20 times. Arnold's like ducking behind him and coming back out and doing shots and like... And then there's an, then there's an extreme close-up of them stepping on the person's body as they run over it (laughs) i mean that is pure verhoven right i mean that's why paul verhoven is so awesome because he consistently finds that little that one extra shot of gratuity that is just make that like amps up the scene just a little a little bit i was just gonna say i don't know if it's before the escalator scene where they use the guy as a human shield or if it's after but the guy that works with Michael Ironsides, like his second in command, basically, uh, says something along the lines to Michael Ironside of like, "Hey, man, if I were you, I'd be, I'd be mad, I'd be mad to have Quaid pop in my wife." You think that like Michael Ironside is gonna like punch him or yell at him, but Ironside goes, "You saying she liked it?" <laughs> and the guy goes, "No, I'm sure. No, I'm sure she hated it." <laughs> Yeah, it's very weird. Again, it's a very weird way for a movie villain to react to somebody. In another movie, he would have just shot the person. But instead, he he said something borderline pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) Deeply insecure. Are you saying she liked it? No, 
Oh no. <laughs> I should work out more. Oh god, I'm always saying I don't have time. Obviously I have time. She's, she said it didn't mean anything to her. I know she's been fucking the most perfect man in the universe for six weeks, but I thought she was bored by it. He's always watching MSNBC. And I know that I look like Michael Ironside. <laughs> I'm an old, bald man. <laughs> oh, but we're also iconic scene with the uh, metal detector. Oh, yeah. It's a really awesome scene. And for the time, I would guess like a great special effect, right? Of where you can see it's like a, a whole wall is an x-ray and you see people's skeletons and they've set it up like the scene before, maybe. And then but then in this scene, Arnold's being chased by the cops uh, and he or is it Michael Ironside's people? Someone's chasing him with guns and he he runs into the behind the thing. And then he's got a gun and then you see the other people with guns come in and, you know, he's trapped and then he jumps through the x-ray machine like at you, the audience, which is like, it's really great. I mean, it's still fun to watch. I think that scene like holds up pretty well. Like the animation is like pretty good. And the way that it conveys what's happening is like kind of fun and funny. And then the way it resolves itself, I was genuinely like, uh, oh, well, how's he going to get out of this one? Obviously he's stuck. And then jumps through the fucking screen man you know like that's pretty great i thought that was really well done that i remember that scene that when i was young and thinking that that scene was incredible i also had the total recall video game and that was one of <laughs> on nintendo and that was one of my favorite uh levels on that on, oh is on that i don't game. think i ever played the video game like that was a whole level <laughs> it was a whole level i mean it was your pretty fairly standard like nintendo you know video game like movie turned into video game thing yeah, which is yeah, like yeah. they were those were never very good I loved I loved them though for some reason. I mean, I always I didn't have that many of them. I think I beat the Willow video game for Nintendo, which is like terrible and really hard, but somehow I beat it. Like I didn't I haven't beat that many video games in my life, but like that was one of them I was really dedicated to finishing. Friday the 13th was really hard, and I had that video game and I would play that. And that game was terrible. You just went into rooms and Jason would appear and kill you. Oh, yeah, I've like heard this is like famously one of the worst video games of all time, yeah. I think. But I had it and I played it all the time and it scared me because I was like seven. Um, so then, I mean, we should also just say like this movie is really just like set piece after set piece after set piece. Yeah. Once once the whole once after he goes to recall, like it just doesn't stop. He just he walks somewhere and then 20 people appear and try to shoot him. Like that's basically <laughs> how every single scene goes, you know? Uh, and that's the there's another but it's not like that long of a movie like you know i feel like if this again if this movie were from today it would have a whole extra hour of runtime but it's like pretty like it moves along pretty well you know i would say so then after the escalator he goes to some random hotel where... Yeah, this is one of the real most confusing parts because you're like, how did he go to a, a hotel? Where is this hotel? Like, did he give a fake name? Isn't everyone trying to murder him? Like, it just cuts to him sitting on a hotel bed. And he's quickly he's quickly found by some guy who teaches him, who tells him that he's got a suitcase outside and um, that, like, his former identity, Hauser, told him if he ever disappeared, he should come bring him this suitcase. And so he brings him this suitcase. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite parts of the movie happens outside when he goes to get the suitcase that the guy has left there. The guy has left and a little old lady <laughs> tries to get the suitcase before Arnold. 
and he's trying to pull it away from her and she's saying, get your own suitcase. And then he finally rips it out of her hands. And as, <laughs> as he's walking away, she stands up tall and looks him in the eyes and goes, fuck you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, I mean, it's exactly what you're saying about Verhoeven, right? It's like just a little bit of extra like insanity yeah. that just makes it more interesting to watch. Like, obviously he could have just run over and gotten the suitcase. Like that would have just, that's how I, you would normally do that. But just to add him fighting a little old lady who fucking cursed <laughs> face like that's just <laughs> genius it's sublime ricky it's what makes this movie fun to watch and then he but and then arnold bows at her <laughs> like she says fuck you asshole and he turns to her and bows politely it's so fucking weird it's so weird and it seems so like like kind of how he would naturally react it seemed like real something about it it didn't <laughs> seem in character it seemed like um, arnold schwarzenegger had been screamed at by this person Arnold go. Arnold gets in a Johnny cab after getting shot at a little bit by Ironside once again. He gets in a Johnny cab. He goes to some sort of weird abandoned structure where he's taught by himself, Hauser, who's recorded a video. He's taught to how to remove the bug that's in his skull, which requires oh, yeah. like a, a gun going up his nose, which is an, an incredible sequence. I love that it's, sequence. I mean, this is where also the movies, I mean, obviously the first sequence we're seeing Arnold's head almost explode, but I would say this sequence really is like, oh, there's going to be like a lot more of this shit. <laughs> like we're going to do this a bunch because he shoots this like probe up his nose and then it cuts to being like a kind of a weird like latex prosthetic version of his face where he's dragging what we eventually see as like a ping pong ball basically through his sinuses and out of his nostril and you see the lump moving like all the way down his face and he's going like uh, the bad guys the bad guys show up uh he gets out of there and gets his gets his ass to Mars. gets his ass to Mars. gets his ass to Mars. (laughs) yes that's and again yeah a great verhoven moment where ironside shows up shoots a rat and the rat blood shoots all across the monitor. <laughs> Which is like a long way away. And there's like a yeah. huge amount of it. <laughs> and again, these, no real reason to shoot the rat. He's just like so pissed. So he shoots the rat. Which you know, uh, completely explodes. Uh, Arnold goes, Arnold gets to Mars uh, as like a, as a, as a big old woman in, in like a flowery muumu or something. Yes, right, exactly. And, uh, Which we didn't see him get this or anything, but and we don't even know this technology exists in the world of the movie. It just happens, you know. Uh, where we also learn there about Quato once again, who is the leader of the rebels on Mars. Uh, Arnold's costume screws up, and he has to amazingly take the old woman's head off. The the old the woman's head off, who then becomes a bomb, and when he throws it at a military extra. The, the head looks at him and goes, get ready for a surprise <laughs> and explodes. It's just so, this is one of the things I remember as a kid. Like I didn't actually see this movie as a kid, but I saw this scene so many times. It was so gross. It's so, I mean, this movie has a certain undercurrent of like body horror, right? Like yeah. the nostril talking about it and the heads exploding. Like, because before he has to take this suit off, it's like, 
it's like it's it's like you're watching a woman have some kind of a stroke and it's very disturbing because she's just like shuffling around and like making sounds and like behaving unnaturally in a way that's like un- really deeply unsettling to watch and then it's like her face starts coming apart in in this way and you're like oh my god and, and in the process of that her hair falls off and then she's just like a, a talking disembodied head and shoulders that then explodes <laughs> and it's like jesus fucking christ you know and yeah, then uh they shoot at arnold and they accidentally blow a hole in the um in the dome which you yeah. realize that if if a hole gets blown in the dome everybody gets sucked out as if you're like on an airplane or whatever right and yeah, uh yeah. then he gets out of there arnold gets out of there he makes his way through a series of things to uh, the last resort. Um, he meets through his cabbie, Benny, uh, who's right, got five sure. kids to feed, uh, which, you know, uh, unbeknownst to me, even on Mars in 2080, whatever, there were token black characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really tastefully drawn whole human beings. Like he doesn't just wear like a weird tank top and keep going. I got five kids to feed, and you're like, oh. Uh, so then, then, then Arnold gets to the last resort, and things sound a little like this. It's like Sonic the Hedgehog wants you to fuck him. Like, that's the general vibe from all of this. <laughs> 100% midi-file music. <laughs> yeah, because it's the future, dude. Were you not paying attention? Like, this is what the future sounds like. Yeah, it's very weird. Honestly, it was very jarring. And while you're hearing this music, by the way, you're, it's, it's, it's an overhead shot of a very well-lit whorehouse which just has a bunch of cafe tables on the floor it's like i don't know it looks like a weird restaurant like it doesn't at all look like like a brothel where people are paying to fuck other people there's also uh we should say like they're in the they're on like the mutant side of town where last resort is it's like the red light district and it's where the mutants who are ostensibly the 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 impoverished of mars um Mm -hmm. uh live and uh Arnold goes into the last resort and that's where he meets Melina who he convinces to trust him. How again, exactly it happens so quickly. I don't remember it at all because it's like, turns out she's not just a hooker. She's in the resistance. And again, it's like, it's basically like he shows up there. He meets Melina and then people come there and start trying to kill him. Like this is the way every scene resolves. It's like when you write a comedy sketch, like, the easiest way to end a comedy sketch is all the characters die or they just say like, <laughs> okay, bye. You know, like that's how every scene in this movie goes. It's she, like, hello, how are you? I'm, I'm Quaid. Okay. Oh no, get down. Like that's... He walks up to her and she strokes his arms and says something about his arms. And then she grabs him, his dick and go and says, what have you been feeding this thing? Again, Ricky, this is just the way normal people talk to each other. I don't know what's so funny about this to you. Like, it's just everyday stuff, you know, man? Like, he and Melina go upstairs. They talk. It turns out they were a couple and they were in the resistance together. And she's mad at him and calls him Hauser. And she is dressed like an aerobics instructor in the 80s, even though it is apparently the future. (laughs) He goes back to his hotel room 
And while he's there, the guy from the commercials from Recall shows up and tries to get oh. him to come out of what he's referring to as dream. He tries to red pill him. Right. He literally tries to red pill him. Is this where it is from in the Matrix? This, because it is literally red pilling. Like it, I think it seems so. Like this must be it, right? I mean, but I saw that and I put that in my notes. I was like, holy shit, is this where red pilling is from? And yeah, and then they have Sharon Stone comes in again also. It's basically like the psychiatrist is saying like, look, I've been implanted into your dream. You're still at recall. You've lost your mind. And he's like, oh, I don't believe you. And then Sharon Stone comes in. And because we know she hasn't been killed previously, it's like, yeah, okay. She, she's there and she's like, I'm here too. They put us in your brain. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, I, I'm really worried about you. And then it's like, it's almost like he's going to believe that what they're saying is true. But he notices on the psychiatrist a single drop of sweat. <laughs> Which he knows means not that it's hot or that there's something weird going on with implanting a person into your brain, but that it's like, or it's that all there's just, up. or, or that there's just a man pointing a gun at him, <laughs> whether he's telling the truth or not. There Arnold is a man Schwarzenegger pointing a gun is putting a gun at him. This hugely jacked guy who has a gun, you know, it's like sharks with lasers. Like he's got every way to possibly kill you. But no, Arnold knows this means that it's all a lie and fuck all these people. And so he shoots the guy in the head and then he argues a little bit with Sharon Stone and then ends up shooting her in the head as well. And then says, consider this a divorce. Well, he shoots her in the head after she has a huge fight scene with Melina. Oh, okay. Okay. Which which Verhoeven, because they're actually not having a mm. quote unquote cat fight, they're having like an actual choreographed like stunt fight. Paul Verhoeven mm -hmm. credited himself with giving two women the first like non-cat fight fight in a movie. I mean, I my instinct is to say there's no way that's true. There must be like a an uh, kung fu movie or something with two women that have a fight from before this. And it also depends on what that's you define true. a cat fight as, you know. Like, do you just call any two women fighting a cat fight unless it's this fight? I mean, I understand what you're saying about the chore the choreography and stuff. But like, you know, come on, there was, I mean, but whatever, if, 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 if that's true, amazing. If that's true, amazing. Fine. You know, I'll give it to him. <laughs> like he shoots, he shoots Sharon Stone in the head and then they go with the rebels and meet Quato. Quato is the leader of the resistance. He is inside a man's chest. He is a tiny yeah. baby that appears after what it seems like a man having an orgasm. <laughs> I don't know if, if it seemed like that's you, basically this actor, I feel like he was over. thinking of shit, basically, is what it seemed like to me. But yeah, I, I do them very similarly. So he walks over to a wall and does a kind of like, oh, 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 and a baby, little ugly car cabbage patch like baby <laughs> appears in his chest, slimy and gross with tiny teeth. And the best part about this is that the, um, the guy, the disgusting little monster, is very wise and caring and sweet, which is like such a great choice. He doesn't even, he has kind of a weird raspy voice, but he doesn't, there's nothing disgusting about his behavior, just about how he looks, which is kind of like a dare to you to be weirded out by it, you know? Which, to be clear, I was 100%. It's disgusting to look at. I mean, it's one of the top body horror things in this movie is this tiny, because it's not even like, like to say that he is a little man who comes out of his chest, he comes out of the chest like 
25%. It's like just his his face and like the curving part of his head and like part of his arms and like part of his chest, but it's not like a he's still mostly inside of the guy. It's, do you know so, so Do gross. you know whose idea it was? No, whose idea was it? David Cronenberg's. I was going to say I mean I was going to say it was Cronenbergian, but I was like, oh, that's just such a cheap thing to say about like a body horror thing. No, prior it actually to, was his idea. Yeah, prior to Verhoeven and Schwarzenegger coming on, Cronenberg took a shot at the movie for a little while and then got into didn't get along with the original writers, but his additions were mutants and Quato. That's really cool, actually. Yeah. I mean, the mutants are a cool idea too. All right. I mean, why am I not surprised? The grossest and weirdest parts of the movie were David Cronenberg's idea. I mean, that just tells you so much about two like fucking movie contracts and stuff because it's it's kind of fucked up that he could come onto the movie, have some great ideas, and then like get get fired or quit or whatever. But the ideas are still in the movie, you know. I mean, I guess that's how it works, like building a building something like this. But it also kind of seems like not fair, not fair to him, you know. The guys who work for Cohagen like breakthrough and then when uh the rebels are trying to escape that's when um benny turns on them and uh shoots uh the guy who is quato right 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 even though you have found out that benny was a mutant like you you trusted benny and then you found out later on that he was a mutant and you were like oh well now i 100 percent trust benny uh but it turned out he was a fucking rat dude like and he murdered them. He murdered Quato so bad. <laughs> it was actually, okay, so I thought it was really funny because Quato's dying, right? Him, He's been shot. The guy he's attached to has been shot. And he's like, uh, he's like, lean in. And he, Arnold Schwarzenegger's leaning in. And, he, and he's saying something, I don't remember what, but like very wise and like. No, he's, he's, telling, he's, him, like, he's telling him to open the reactor. Right, right, right. But he's doing it in this way that I thought was very dignified. Like you, you really respect him. You know, I felt like he was, dying in a like a, like a hero basically and then he does get shot again in the head and you like watch his head explode basically michael ironside shoots baby quato baby old man baby old man quato i mean really like quato is kind of like the first baby yoda i think in a way um just so you're saying you found quato like really cute like you wanted to, like toys of of quato no he's wanted. the he's the first iteration of baby yoda and then they were like we need to make this cuter <laughs> like it doesn't work this slimy and ugly it just took 29 years they finally perfected this baby yoda they've been working on yeah and look i mean it was 29 years worth the wait because look at how successful baby yoda is right so I mean, you they... cannot argue with the results yeah that's true to then watch him like explode while he was being like kind of nice it was like i was feeling so many complex negative emotions all at the same time and then um they're brought to basically another recall on mars but prior, like just prior to that, Cohagen, played by Ronnie Cox, who was also in RoboCop, who has his uh, the usual kind of villain ex- exposition scene, right? Where he tells the plot of the movie. Oh, and right, fortunately, right. it's total recall, and the plot, no matter what, is convoluted. And so <laughs> even in an expositional scene, it's kind of fun because you're like, what? Huh? That? Okay, I guess. <laughs> I don't. Oh, right. It was like he had to infiltrate the Quado's gang. It turns out, well, this is a big deal. It's because he's saying like, well, you were infiltrating this uh, gang of rebels the whole time. Like it turns out in the ultimate mind fuck, like we erased your memory and sent you to Earth 
so that you could come back and join the resistance and all these things were planted in your memory. And then there's another video of, of past Arnold where he's like, I want to say have a long life, but it's not in the cards. <laughs> they're basically like, okay, we're going to murder you now. There's a great moment where Arnold says to Ronnie Cox's character, come on, it couldn't have been so easy. And Ronnie Cox goes, easy, my ass. And he basically details all of the things that you would have been thinking as an audience member in that moment where you were like, but what about this? But what about this moment? But what about this moment? He goes over those things and talks about how they were either a setup or they were somebody going too far and almost fucking up the plant. Right. Cause it's all this stuff where you're like, wait, but how could all of this been fake? Like he was murdering all these people and he's like, yeah. And then you were murdering all those people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, in all honesty, masterfully done. Like, it's, it does answer all of your questions as an audience member. And then, so right, they strap them into the recall chairs, and it looks like, how could our heroes possibly get out of this one? And it's because Arnold is such a fucking beast that he is able to rip the steel gauntlets out of his chair and then start stabbing people in the neck with the <laughs> the stumps of the isn't that how they escape? Like Yeah, it is. But I just wanted to say, like, just before he 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 breaks those those steel um those whatever, those steel locks, there's a moment where uh Cohagen says, You're gonna be really happy with Melina. We're gonna change her up. She, he basically goes, we're going to neuter her. We're going to make her a docile, subservient woman for you. <laughs> like, wait till you get a load of what we do to this broad. And she goes, and she goes I'll bust his balls all the time. <laughs> like, the worst thing that she could do, coming out of being, or getting her memory implanted and everything to her life taken away from her and losing the resistance. Like, like, her entire personality, everything she's been fighting for her whole life. Her yeah. form of her form of revenge is going to be like, oh, honey, could you please fix the shed? I've told you about this six times already. <laughs> like, when they're having, like when they're having drinks with their friends, she'll be like, oh, and this guy, you know, yeah. wish he'd give me the attention in the bedroom that he gives me at this restaurant. And as you were saying, Arnold breaks off, off of these, uh, breaks off these resistance metal locks on the recall machine and just starts going hog wild stabbing everybody it's disgusting too because they're so thick the stems of the restraints they must be like an inch in diameter and he's driving it into people's necks and then there's blood like fountaining out of their necks but it's not sharp it's blunt so he's like (laughs) what movie is that where they talk about stabbing somebody with a brick uh i think it's uh oh oh it's a fucking deadpool movie but like it's the same general idea like do you know how strong it would be to stab someone with something blunt it's disgusting to think about and he's just doing it to people and they're scientists you know like i realize they're evil scientists but they're just doing they're like doctors basically Again, another reason why this movie ends up under the definition of fucking sick, dude. <laughs> dude, Ricky, it is pretty fucking sick. That's 100% right. <laughs> um, they escape. They make their way to the reactor somehow. Uh, forgive me, that might, that might actually be detailed within the movie, but I don't remember. But they make their way to the alien reactor, which is what is stopping Mars from just sort of having air. But there's an element of where you... You don't know if it's if that's it or is it going to be bad. They make their way to the reactor, and when they get there, they find uh, Richter, and they also find again a bunch of extras to shoot. 
And this is where Arnold uses the hologram that uh, was given to him by Hauser early on in the movie, which yes, he has somehow yes. held on to. <laughs> Through everything. Through everything, right? Like blown up, shot at, being recalled. Like before they put him in the recall chair, no one frisked him to see if he had any <laughs> no, objects on him. No, why? You know, why? They, well, they got him, Ricky. What you're not understanding is they got him. So like, who even cares? I love that at this period of time in movies, and maybe even now it works in movies, that if you just set up, if you're a good enough director and you move fast enough and things are believable enough, you can kind of get away with anything. Because it's just like, oh, okay, the audience does so much work to fill in the gaps for you because it's like the audience is on your side, basically. Do you know what I mean? They want to have a good time and they're not looking to get bogged down and like, oh, does he really still have the hollow projector on him? You know, it's like you introduce the hollow projector at minute, you know, 40 and then you bring it back at minute 80 and everybody's like, oh, right, the hollow projector, you know. I also think something about Arnold Schwarzenegger buys you that suspension of disbelief as well. He's so gigantic and so out of this world and inhuman to a degree that like he already allows the audience to suspend their disbelief. It's like a cartoon, like anything is possible. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like this. I mean, well, that's the thing about so many Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, especially from this period, is that like he was always like a sheriff in Montana. And you're like, what? (laughs) And nobody ever mentions that he is not American or that he talks funny. It's to their, and his name often in these movies is like Mike. And you're like, what? You're like, this name is definitely not Mike, you know? But I mean, yeah, we're at, the, we're at the end of the movie, right? But then he does hit the switch and the movie actually ends very quickly. Before we hit the switch, there's a scene in here that you mentioned uh, before oh, that yeah. you really liked, which is his fight with Richter. Oh, yeah. So I again, I even though you told me the quote, I forget what the quote is. Oh, no, I now I remember. So they're fighting in an elevator. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Richter are fighting and it ends up that Richter is hanging off the side of the elevator platform. It's like a construction site elevator right as another floor comes up and they both see it and then it's like his body gets separated from his arms like it's basically like he has arnold is left holding like mickey mouse gloves and then the rest of his body falls away like at the end of rear window or uh, the end of uh, north by northwest you know he's like ah and arnold does a great action movie hero callback and he says uh see you at the party richter because earlier cohagen and richter Cohagen, just before Arnold was about to get recalled and become Hauser again, he goes, hey, I'm having a party at my place tonight. You and Melina should come by. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then he's dead. And then, oh, but, and it's around this time that uh, Cohagen, no, the main bad, Cohagen gets Cohagen. sucked out. Yeah, gets sucked out of the, uh, onto the Martian landscape, right? Is yeah, because right? him, Cohagen, yeah. Melina, and, uh, Hauser slash Quaid are fighting and um, they're uh, are, are fighting and they're fighting over the, the reactor and then something blows in a window and they all start getting sucked out and like Arnold has to fight to be able to reach the alien hand reactor. Right, right, right. And, and we're, cu- we're cross-cutting between that and the other guy's head exploding basically over a very long period of time, right? This prosthetic is twitching around and... Why do you think they named so many characters similar sounding names? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know why. Um, Quato, um, Cohagen, and Quaid. I find it distracting that his last name is Quaid. And, and this is like the height of Quaid fame. Like there were t- 
like Randy Quaid was very famous at this time. I feel like you know why name it? It's like naming your your character Spielberg. Like why just why do that? I don't understand. You're like it's Dwayne the Rock Thompson is my neighbor, but with no mention of the Rock at all. You know. I understand why everybody who knew him as Hauser prior to him being go, getting sent to Earth and being recalled. When he leaves Earth and goes back to Mars, they're all still calling him Quaid, right? Right. They would not know that was his name. They would just, they would just call him Hauser. Doesn't the woman, his girlfriend, calls him Hauser at first, though, right? Yes, yeah, she does. She does. But, but like, like no one else does. Yeah, like Richter is always like, it's Quaid, and it's like you worked with him for years at the agency. He's Hauser. How are you, know, you like... so? How have you acclimated yourself so quickly to calling him Quaid? You didn't why, know. Him. Why would you bother calling him this fake name? Like, yeah, <laughs> for whose benefit? Right? Yeah, no, it would never happen in a million years. It's funny because he hits the button. Air comes up to Mars so quickly that Arnold Schwarzenegger by now is also out on Mars and is asphyxiating. And the air comes so quickly that he doesn't die. Like the entire planet becomes flooded with oxygen within 30 seconds. It's not just that he doesn't die. He has been, his eyes have been bulging out of his face. Like, I mean, his and Melina's eyes have, have basically come out of the socket. Oh yeah, basically their faces are exploding. They're coming apart at the seams. The air comes up through the ground and his, their eyes go back into their skull. <laughs> and there's no like bruising or cuts or anything like No, they are no worse for wear at all. No, no. Where no. their eyes came out. Uh, I do love well, now Ricky now, there. Ricky. now there's air. Now there's air. So why would there be a problem? Now there's air. So it's everything is fine. You know what I'm saying? Air heals all. Yeah, it's just their faces were all fucked up, and then the air happened, and now they're fine. So it's that's the end of the story. I do love Cohagen's death uh, there, though, where the eyes actually do come out of the sockets, like about three inches from his face. It's extremely gross. Yeah, it's I very mean, it's very Jim Carrey the mask. <laughs> It's very like uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, you right. know? Uh, it's terrifying to watch. I mean, I was actually, I couldn't, I was really interested you told me that David Cronenberg was involved in this movie because so much of it is so gross. Like, it is way grosser than you expect. And I think that's kind of why it was famous among children when I was a child is that like, oh, this movie's fucking crazy, man. I mean, RoboCop, I mean, Verhoeven's gross in his own right, though. RoboCop is pretty gross, yeah, that's true. Um, Starship Troopers is pretty gross. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and in their own way, you know, like Showgirls and Basic Instinct, I wouldn't say they're gross, but I would say they're gratuitous. Yeah. Um, oh, okay, you're right. You're, you know, you're right. I was short selling Paul Verhoeven's ability to be gross. And I take it back. You're right. He's super fucking gross. Yeah. I mean, especially the moment in this where uh, Schwarzenegger stabs those scientists in the neck with the blunt object that's straight out of robocop when um robocop kills uh one of the bad guys like in the in the in, in uh at the industrial site he stabs him in the neck with this object and blood just splatters all over <laughs> robocop's face and that's why what is your line ricky and that's why this movie is fucking sick is is, is, that, is that what the line is <laughs> the line is and that is why this movie is the definition of fucking sick, bro. I mean, then they kiss and the movie's over. I mean, that's it, right? And you're well, you the can, Mars people, like the mutants get their air, right? The mutants get their air. Everybody gets their air. Yeah, air. <laughs> they get they get their air. 
uh, yeah, and they kiss, and then the credits. Like, it's just, like, well, that's everything wrapped up. The bad guy's dead, and everybody has air. Well, he does, she does say it's like a dream, you know, because oh, of the okay. air and all that stuff. I was thinking about whether or not this is a dream or it's reality, and it doesn't make sense that it's a dream, because if this is all what Recall has implanted in his brain, based off of the salesman's pitch, when he wakes up, he's going to fucking hate his wife. <laughs> like, because it's a memory. <laughs> it's not a dream, right? It's a memory that he actually did these things. So when he wakes up and goes home, and his wife is like, hey, honey, he might kill her. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, oh, no. Yeah, it's he might still be like, happening. He might be like, you're supposed to be dead. Melina killed you. <laughs> you're like, honey, Melina, who is this? And... By the end of that, he's shot her in the head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then again, they did seem to have like a lot of strokes to their patients and stuff at Recall. Maybe this is just another one of those. Like, oh, another guy murdered his wife. Oh, like, that's ah, true. Shit, shit. So when the guy, so when the guy actually came in and tried to give him the red pill, that could have actually been he. He wasn't necessarily working for the agency. Oh no, I think that could still be part of it. That could still, even if it's a recall, that could still be part of the whole thing, the whole fantasy. Um, but you're right. I mean, is it grossly irresponsible for Recall to have done that to a patient? <laughs> to yes, have... but I think they, I think they set up that Recall is grossly irresponsible. Like that is, they are setting that up earlier in the movie. But let's let's say like, so you're married and you have a child. You go to this place called Recall. And you're like, I want a memory of, uh, you know, a beach vacation where I have a, an affair. And they're, and they're like, and I'm sorry, Catherine, I, I, this isn't something that Chris wants. Uh, maybe the beach it vacation. It was better part. until you stopped to say that because that made it sound like it was something that I wanted and you <laughs> wanted to cover up that we had talked about that, which to be clear did not happen. <laughs> No, but like, so you, you're, they're like, sounds good. We'll, we'll hook you up. They lay you down. You go to sleep. All of a sudden you wake up there in recall and you're freaking out and you go home and you have a massive fight with Catherine and you say, I'm leaving. I'm going to a beach today or something like that. And you go to a beach and this is all just part of the memory. But in that memory, you have had a fight. You have been gone. You have been left your wife. You have been, you go and sleep with somebody else. When you wake up, you are going to be racked with guilt. <laughs> About what you well, have I mean, done to your life. I mean, in this movie, what they're telling him is your entire relationship was a lie. Your wife actually has a different boyfriend and doesn't even like you. And eventually Arnold, he punches her in the face and then he also kills her later. He shoots her in the head and right. kills her and feels good about doing it. You know, the thing is, is, we keep referring to this as a dream. It's not a dream. It's a memory. It's a memory, right, right, so in the memory, because it's is, real. That is the memory. When he sees his wife again, he's going to freak the fuck out. Yeah, there's actually a really great episode of Star Trek about this very topic, if I can put that out there. It's really? A Deep Nine ep it's a Deep Space Nine episode where, okay, if I can just, I'll be as quick as I can. One of the characters, he's on a, on another planet, and he they claim he committed some kind of a crime, and they arrest him, and they take him somewhere, and they implant in him a memory of having been in jail for 50 years and they do it in the space of like one afternoon and the rest of the star trek crew show up at the end of the day and they're like oh hey you know 
we're here to rescue, you know, you, you've been rescued, but it was just it all happened so fast we couldn't get here any sooner. But he actually has the memory of having been in jail for like 50 years. And it turns out to be this whole thing where he like, his cellmate was his best friend and eventually he murdered his cellmate <laughs> and he feels really racked with guilt about it and their real memories. And he has to go back to be with his family and his child. And he's like, I don't know how to be around you people. I've been in jail for 50 years. Um, it's, it's very well done episode of television. You love Star Trek. Yeah. Fuck off. Fuck off. I can see you fucking laughing at me. I, wouldn't, I didn't laugh at all. I did not laugh. We're on a zoom call and Ricky was laughing his fucking ass. Off I was, at me. I was not, I would never laugh at somebody who likes Star Trek. He was flipping me off the whole time and he, he took off his regular glasses because Ricky does wear glasses and he put on this novelty pair of nerd glasses that were the huge horn rimmed glasses that had tape in the middle and he kept pushing them up and scratching his head like a monkey. And uh, personally, I thought it was rude. Personally, I, was, I thought it was rude. And I was, I was, you couldn't hear me because I was just mouthing it, but I was mouthing virgin, virgin, <laughs> virgin. <laughs> Well, my thoughts about this movie in a kind of a general way is if you like zoom out a little bit, basically this movie, it's based on a Philip K. Dick short story. It's a science fiction detective story, a neo-noir basically, right? I mean, it's basically like a Tom Cruise movie. I mean, it, it almost is Minority Report, right? But because of the, or like Blade Runner, right? But because of the moment in his, the exact moment in history it was made, it's a movie where like Arnold Schwarzenegger rips people's hands off. Like that's because that was the style of that movie at the time. Like if it had been made five years earlier or five years later, it would have been like an extremely different movie. But because, because of this way that this, this movie happened, it's yeah. Like you're watching people's heads explode and there's like a guy coming out of someone's stomach and it's a completely this insane world and Arnold Schwarzenegger's yelling one-liners. It's so weird to think that this is the form in which this story ended up being a movie. It actually, one of the reasons that Cronenberg left the project was because the original writers and producers were trying to make it less of a Philip K. Dick uh, movie. And Cronenberg at one point is quoted as saying, I told them that I, that they told me that it was too much like Philip K. Dick. And I said, isn't that what you wanted? And they said, no, we want Raiders of the Lost Ark on Mars, which is... Oh my God, fuck off. Which is not what this movie is either, by the way. If that was their goal, they're like way short of the goal. Yeah. Uh, it's true that there is like totally randomly ancient Martian artifacts in this movie that don't really seem to fit the rest of the movie. But hearing you say that, I guess now I understand why. Because <laughs> you're kind of like, wait, there are ancient Martians? It just kind of completely comes out of nowhere. It's not remarked upon that there is like aliens are real. <laughs> they're just like, oh yeah, it's this ancient Martian machine. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> There's also the Philip K. Dick story itself, which I believe is a short story, has a much different narrative than the movie. Uh, he basically, you know, gets the implant of a secret agent and after being confused for a while, gets it removed and goes back to his wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds more like it. That's something you can sell to Colliers. You know what I mean? Like, that's uh, a good short story. I will say this in regards to Paul Verhoeven, as much as I love... Total Recall, I will say it's the lesser of Verhoeven's movies, even when it comes to like showgirls, because there is something about it that doesn't feel purely Verhoevenian. It feels like Verhoeven hired for a job and working with the people who were already in charge of that movie, i.e. Arnold Schwarzenegger, which he does everything that he can. And it feels like 
there's lots of Verhoeven touches within it, but it doesn't feel as satirical and crazy as Robocop. It doesn't feel as oh, no. outrageous as Basic Instinct or Showgirls or Starship Troopers, movies that are like, uh, like it's somewhere between Robocop yeah, and, and Hollow Man. Hollow Man being sort of like the worst of Verhoeven's Hollywood entries and Robocop being the best of them. Total Recall right. sort of sandwiched right in the middle. It's just like work for hire, right? Like they they needed a director for this movie and he is the director of the movie. But it's also very weird, you know? One of the things we didn't really talk about, I, I think the lighting in the movie is like really bad. Like it's it's just very bright. And I don't know if that's like a choice because it's like they're always in these enclosed, you know, bubbles or whatever, like these colony things. But it's basically, it's, you know, it has like TV show lighting. I feel like it's, it's, it's like an, you know, the, what it is, like an, an action movie from the late 80s, early 90s, like very flat to look at. I wonder if that was a, a, a kind of touch of Verhoeven's though. Like if you look at Showgirls, it's extremely bright lighting. If you look at Starship Troopers, it's, a, it's very flat yeah. intentionally so, right? Like Starship Troopers is this satire on fascism is almost hard to watch. It's so flat at times. <laughs> Yeah, well, it just has a very weird. I mean, Starship Troopers is it. It has a very weird energy. Like the acting is very strange, and the lighting is very flat, and the tone of the movie is very like all over the place. But it, you know, it, I mean, it's so. But all it's all on purpose, right? But it, it is very strange. Yeah, I think it's on purpose. Sometimes I'm not sure with Verhoeven. Um, favorite favorite moment of the movie. I actually really like the videos from future uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger or, you know, past Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, Hauser for Quaid. I find them something deeply unsettling about them and everything about it's actually pretty good acting from Arnold because he's presenting himself like extremely differently. He's always like in a suit and smiling really big. And there's something there's something about them that watching them through Quaid's eyes it makes you feel how like this kind of terror at not existing <laughs> like I barely exist and I might not exist again really soon like the stasis of the world is that I'm not real it's like very very unsettling to see and to see yourself be like oh I'm gonna kill you <laughs> you know like I know as, as dumb as it is I, I it does work on me you know you know, I don't know if that's like my favorite moment necessarily. I mean, I love the three tits and I love everybody's heads exploding, but like something about that really sticks with me. I was going to say, I'm very basic. I like the appearance of Quato. I like when, oh, Qu- so gross. So gross. I like when Quato appears and it is always fun to watch that movie with someone who's, who's never seen it before because when Quato appears, there's just a massive reaction. <laughs> Obviously we're starting with 1990 and the podcast is 30 years later. So every movie we ostensibly talk about is going to be in the nineties. What was the most nineties moment for you? Um, actually, I think the most nineties thing about this movie is there's so much dialogue where now there wouldn't be dialogue. Like supporting characters have, will have like a whole page of dialogue for no real reason. Like the, the scenes where Schwarzenegger goes to recall and stuff and, and gets put in the recall chair. That's like, five minutes of the movie and they introduce like three new characters and the characters have relationships to each other. Like, I feel if that movie came out now, Arnold would just like hit a button on a touch screen and then the memory stuff would start. But it's like back in those days, you just, you had characters and you had dialogue and that was how you made a fucking movie. But you know, that is, that is not the case anymore at all. What's interesting is I'll kind of echo that because my, the most nineties thing about the movie for me is that it's 
not two and a half hours long, right? Yes. Like it's yes. not two and a half hours long, yet it has more dialogue and explanation and more characters told much more quickly and succinctly than movies that come out now. I mean, it's amazing. And it go it has so many great action sequences, like and then parts you'd forgotten, interesting world building parts and, you know, character building things that you're like, it doesn't seem necessary for the movie at all. <laughs> and yet they've somehow done all of that in, you know, 96 minutes or whatever. I mean, those fucking Avengers movies are like three hours long, right? Yeah, they're impossibly long. Um, this is uh, this is kind of like a what has aged well, what hasn't aged that well, but the movie is 30 years old. What do you think it's grown out of? Yeah, well, I think um, the movie kind of enjoys being violent towards women in a way that thinks it's, like, cool and funny, which I think doesn't really play these days, you know? You, do you mean the way that he punches Sharon Stone? The way he punches Sharon Stone, the way he shoots Sharon Stone, the way he jokes about doing that, the way that, like, the bad guy is towards the good woman, whose character name I'm forgetting, um... Like where they're joking about like making her docile and doesn't he like kiss her or something? You know, he, he calls her. It's it's just can it's I, like the movie. Can I pose an argument to this though? Yes, sure, please. She is trying to kill him. She's shooting oh, at him and fighting him and trying to kill him. Right. So he has to kill her. Three, the guy who's asked talking about Melina being docile, he's the bad guy. Right. Okay. But here's the thing is like, you don't, those things don't have to be in the movie. Like, it's not like, like she doesn't like the movie set up a situation where it would be okay for him to do violence against her in order so that we, the audience can watch violence be done to her. It, it put, it invented a situation to let us watch that. And that doesn't have to happen. But then she doesn't have a character. Well, I mean, but she can be evil and be fighting him and but it doesn't it doesn't mean that like there has to be these moments where these particular things happen. It's like though I feel like the movie kind of is working backwards from that or it where it's like, okay, we want to see Arnold do some really cool thing, you know? And then it's kind of like the scene is around that, you know? So when I'm watching him and there's special effects when I'm watching him like dead eye her like right between the eyes with his future gun and like blood spurts out i feel like somebody had the vision of a guy shooting his wife in the head and it being cool and okay and that like we kind of got to it you know but why what if the vision is he shoots this character in the head who is not really his wife and is trying to kill him and also start like working for an agency that's starving the mutants that from with from with air from air. I mean, sure. Do you know what I mean? I, I, but I just feel I mean, like you could because you world. could because you could watch anything and sensibly be like, I feel like someone just hated their brother, and therefore that's why like this person shot their brother or fought their brother. That's what this was born out of. Or someone someone really hates uh, mutants and <laughs> enjoyed watching people get like mutants get starved for it. Ricky, can I tell you something? I fucking hate mutants. I knew when it. They started starving those mutants for air. I was like, finally, rock finally hard. Somebody had the guts to do it. What we all want to do, starving these mutants of air abominations. And I was sad. I was sad that they didn't all die because I think they're disgusting. Or, or, or do you think the moment where Richter shoots the woman with nests in the back 
See, this is the thing. I'm just saying there's a lot of instances more than you will find. If the question is what has changed about the way we make movies between then and now, I think like there's not it's not necessary to show so many women being murdered in this particular way, you know, where it's just kind of like bang, blah, you know. But I guess that's kind of what the movie is like as a whole, you know, and that's a, a, another way that things have changed is contrasting it with Hobbs and Shaw, which is a movie I love. That's a movie where there's lots of fighting and lots of shooting and lots of violence, but there's not, it's not, it doesn't happen in the way that it happens in this movie where it's gross and visceral. Like there, the whole ending sequence is Jason Statham with a gigantic wrench, a gigantic steel wrench that's a good three feet long crushing people in the head with it but they all go like ow and fall over (laughs) you know like nobody has their head caved in and then you see their like brains coming out i think that's another big change from then to now well call me old-fashioned but i want the heads caved in with the brains coming out (laughs) i mean i agree i i agree i mean it's weird to have somebody like brutally attacking people and having there be no consequences it's like the 50s or something right yeah arguably more violent because you're just saying like okay yeah this is because it's like the whole argument about about why quentin tarantino is actually less violent because it's like one death in a tarantino movie it takes like the whole movie and you really feel it viscerally whereas in like a 50s cowboy show 10 people get shot and nobody acts like they give a shit about it you know right there's a disassociation from the actual violence Right, exactly. Which makes it easier to do violence because you're just like, oh yeah, pay, pow, you're dead now, you know? I think we're saying the same thing, but uh, I think they're 30 years later, and we have proof of this because they remade the movie with a PG-13 rating. rating. There's no way in hell this movie would be rated R 30 years later. They would not spend the money it takes to make no. this movie and allow it to have an R rating. No, definitely. Like, why in the world? Would you do that? These, I mean, especially these days, right? I mean, those Marvel movies are like almost G. What's the, the closest thing that we have to like an R-rated big budget action or sci-fi movie is probably the Deadpool movies, but those are basically R-rated Marvel movies. But And the thing about them too is like, that's the shtick of that is like, what if you made a Marvel movie that was rated R? Like that's the whole, that's the yeah. whole identity of it. It's not just like a movie that happens to be rated R. It's like, that's the whole point of it. They're know? constantly screaming, look at how R-rated we are. Look at, you know. Yeah, fuck this titty ass. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. Okay. But I don't think there's actually any nudity in them, though, is there? Like Ryan Reynolds, maybe? You see his butt or something? I don't think there's any female nudity in them. Doesn't he get pegged in the first one? <laughs> does he? I don't know, man. I think he does. Okay. I think he By... gets... Oh, are you shocked? <laughs> yes, I'm shocked. Why would a man let someone do that to them? <laughs> to my tiny little butt clar- hole? Like, no. <laughs> for, 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 clarity, for clarity's sake, Chris is joking. Yeah, my butthole is huge. It's not tiny at all. <laughs> um, it's a joke. Gaping. Ha-ha. Gaping, Gaping and ready. Mm, ready. Hung- I, I would say it's hungry. <laughs> um, starving. Mm. My, my starving asshole. I actually have that tattooed around my asshole, actually, yeah. (laughs) On that note, thanks so much, everybody, for listening. (laughs) Hey, great show, Ricky. A lot of fun time 30 years later. Um, Goodbye, everybody.